Good morning. It is great to see you. Uh, my name's Stu. I'm, I'm part of the team here at the Vineyard. Um, I'm really excited this morning to be continuing our series that we kicked off on Resurrection Sunday. If you've got a Bible with you, um, either on your phone or some of the Bibles that are sitting around you, I'd love you to turn with me to John chapter 19. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, John 19 is page 751 um, in the Bibles that are on your seats. That would be great. In 1956, John Ames picks up a pen and begins to write a letter. John comes from a family of preachers, and for decades he's been ministering in this dust bowl town in Iowa called Gilead. And in his letter, John looks back over the course of his life and looks at how much the world has been changing in small town America, but he looks forward, forward with hope. And this letter John is writing is for his son, his young son. John Ames' heart is failing him. He, he knows that he is going to die and die really soon. And so with that, he writes this long, winding conversation to his son that he can read whenever he grows up to be a man. A conversation to help his son navigate the times that he finds himself in and to always choose hope in the future. I love John Ames' letter. It is a beautiful, beautiful letter. The thing is, though, John Ames is a fictional character. Gilead is a fictional place. The letter actually was written by Marilyn Robinson in her 2005 Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Gilead. But as I've been reflecting over the course of the past number of weeks on this Brave New You series that we have been journeying through since Easter... I've been drawn to the final words that John writes to his son, the final words in the book. So, spoiler alert, sorry if anybody is going to be wanting to read Gilead. Writing to his son, John says these words. I'll pray that you'll grow up a brave man in a brave country. I'll pray that you'll find a way to be useful. I'll pray, and then I'll sleep. On the final page of this book, the final words of this letter, we see the dream of a father looking to his son, praying that he will grow up to be brave. It's a beautiful prayer. And yet I'm really curious about John Ames or Marilyn Robinson's turn of phrase here, because the prayer isn't simply that his son would grow up to be a brave man in isolation, disconnected from anybody else. But the father's dream is that he would be brave in a really brave place. That his bravery would be interconnected with the bravery of the place that he finds himself in. Or maybe to take it one step further, that the son, in becoming brave, would contribute directly to the bravery of a nation. This is the father's dream. Daughters and sons growing up to be brave so that their families, their cities, their nation would, be grow, up, would grow up to be brave also. The conversation that we've been having as a church family over the course of the past number of weeks really is all about exploring how do we live in light of Easter? What are the implications of Easter for our lives? And the events of Good Friday right the way through to Resurrection Sunday aren't simply to be defining factors in our faith or our understanding at like a theoretical level, but should actually define every single aspect of our lives right the way down to the daily choices that we make. And with Good Friday, I want to hang out there today 
Because with Good Friday, there is just so much that is going on in the crucifixion of Jesus. It is this kaleidoscopic event. There's so much happening. And yet with that, I found it really helpful how Andy put it a few weeks back whenever he was teaching into this. There are two headlines of what is going on. In the cross of Jesus, we first of all see forgiveness. We see the breaking of sin and shame in our lives. We see the point of our adoption as sons and daughters to the Father. But with that, we also see victory. That despite the humiliation and the brutality, the pain and the heartache, despite Jesus being humiliated in front of everybody, we also see Jesus the victor. We see the victorious one. We see him even in his humiliation, disarming the powers and principalities of sin and of hell and of death and evil. We see the just, holy, righteous king that we have been singing about lifted up far beyond any other authority in human history. And yet despite all of this, despite the huge things that are taking place at the crucifixion of Jesus, we see these moments that are deeply human. And I want to explore one of these moments today in John chapter 19, the moment whenever Jesus, hanging on the cross, sees his mum. So if you want to turn with me to John 19, and let me read it for us. John 19, verse 25. I won't go into the depths of the story. I'll just get to the point. John 19, 25 says this, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which is John, the writer of this account, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. What if, in a time of huge change, a time where everything is in flux. What if one of the bravest things we could do is to slow things right the way down and look into the eyes of somebody who is hurting and journey with them towards life? On Easter Sunday, as the stone is rolled away from the tomb and Jesus takes his first breath, everything changes. Everything is different. Jesus leads us into this brave new world where the future that we long for, full of resurrection, full of restoration, healing, justice, renewal, and the fullness of the presence of God, it begins to be unearthed. It begins to be made known in the now, in the present. Everything is different because of the resurrection, and therefore, we should be really different too. Because we as followers of the resurrected king are not simply bystanders in what he is doing in the world. We're not just spectators of it. Jesus has invited us to join him, to partner with him as he makes all things new. We are to be resurrection people who, as Wendell Berry puts it, practice resurrection, which means that we're going to be a little bit different. We're going to be distinct it's always been the way for the people of God to be a different kind of community, not kind of isolating or separating ourselves out or anything Amish like that, but we are to live differently to the rest of culture, to stick out a bit. And we do that because we have been awakened to a very different reality. And therefore, we should live really different lives. 
This is what we've been talking about over the course of the past couple of weeks, that in an age of arrogance and pride, we're to be the humble. That, as Andy so helpfully put it last week, in an age of distraction, we're to throw off every single weight that hinders us, even our phones, and focus our attention on Jesus, running towards him, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And to choose to be different, to choose to stand out, it requires bravery. Just remember your teenage years. Especially because who we're becoming is shaping our families, this city, and this nation. The thing is that so often whenever we want to see change happen around us, we find ourselves looking out for the hero holding out for the outlier, the one who's going to make all the difference, then we can just follow him or her behind. And yet the truth is, the culture is only changed through the everyday choices of ordinary people who have been awakened to a very different reality. That as we choose to practice the way of resurrection, to live the life of Christ today, as we choose humility and focus and the other things that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks, our very choices begin to change the atmosphere of the environments that we find ourselves in. That as we become braver, we directly contribute to the bravery of this city. Our personal transformation contributes directly to the transformation of this city. And so with that, I want to take the conversation on a step this morning. And with that, I want to ask a question. And I do want to have a bit of a disclaimer with this question because I'm aware that this question comes from left field, number one. But also, um, with some of the situations that are going on in the room, I want to say this gently and humbly, but it is the question, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? David Brooks I'm like the biggest fanboy of David Brooks. He's a New York Times columnist and a writer. And in his book, The Road to Character, which was out a few years ago, he sets up this book by comparing two different types of virtues, two different kinds of ways to act in the world. And he talks about resume virtues and eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the parts that you're going to list in your CV, the parts of you that contribute to success in work and in the rest of the world. But the eulogy virtues, they're the things that go way, way deeper. They're the parts of you that get talked about at your funeral, hopefully. The parts of you who are core to who you are right now. Resume virtues are drivenness and being energetic, having the ability to be able to solve problems, being competitive, being able to close deals, Trump style. But eulogy virtues are how those closest to you will remember you. Loving, generous, humble kind, fun, patient, gentle. And of course, we're going to say that the eulogy virtues are more significant than the things that we put in our CV, right? But the thing is that we live in a time that nurtures the resume and actually neglects the eulogy. Brooks puts it like this himself. We live in a society that encourages us to think about how to have a great career, but leaves many of us inarticulate about how to cultivate the inner life. The competition to succeed and to win admiration is so fierce that it becomes all-consuming. So whether it's in working for that promotion, trying to get ahead of our colleagues, trying to get our kids into that particular school, straining for the right grade whenever it comes to exam time, so much of our life can reflect the nature of our age where we're driven unfocused on anybody else, straining for the next prize until we get bored of that one 
and then strain for one more. Here's the thing. If we live by the resume virtues, we're only going to grow up to be increasingly harsh in a harsh age. It's a really difficult sentence to say. And so with that, there's one eulogy virtue that I want to unpack this morning. A way of living that is so different from our age and actually releases resurrection into people's lives. I want to talk about gentleness. Now, whenever I even say the word gentle, it can sound a bit weak, right? A bit soft, a bit pithy. That's why I'm speaking this morning and Andy isn't. But um, <laughs> um, I think we need to reclaim gentleness. We need to reclaim what it is and reclaim what it means for our city. Gentleness, after all, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what gentleness is, but if you blend the fruits of peace, patience, and kindness together, you kind of end up with some gentle juice at the end of it. Jesus describes himself as being gentle in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so for those of us who are wanting to focus our attention and our lives on practicing the way of Jesus, allowing the fruits of his spirit to be cultivated in our lives, we are to increasingly grow into gentleness. But the question is, what do we mean whenever we talk about gentleness? And so with that, I want to return back to John chapter 19. Because in John 19, despite all that is going on around him, in his body and in his spirit, Jesus sees his mother. We don't know what Mary's reaction would have been whenever she saw Jesus hanging on the cross. The best thing that we have to go on is Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah's prophecy of what would happen at the crucifixion of Jesus, where he prophesies that Jesus would be like one from whom people would hide their faces that looking at Jesus would have been offensive. He would just have been in such a brutal state that people would have had to have turned away. And yet even in these moments, Jesus recognizes his mother's emotions. But more than that, he also recognizes what is truly going on at the heart of it all. A mother is losing a son. A mother is needing someone's help and protection. A mother is in deep grief. A mother is needing shelter. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is that not only does he recognize what Mary is experiencing in that moment, but in his grace and in his wisdom, he brings Mary and John together for comfort, for healing, and for family. In John 19, we see Jesus engaging in two movements, the two movements that define what gentleness is, Because gentleness is firstly the art of being able to see beneath the surface. And secondly, the gift of journeying with someone towards life. Let me unpack these for us with the rest of our time together. Firstly, the art of seeing beneath the surface. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How's your week? Busy. What's the crack? 
if someone is able to give me a legitimate answer to the question, what is the crack, can you let me know? Like, I have been, for 30 years, I don't know how to answer that question, other than maybe the answer 90. So please, somebody help me with that, if you can, after. And um, so often, our interactions barely scratch the surface with people. We ask these fleeting questions all the time. We ask them, and then we're on the move. Whenever we're on the receiving end of these kinds of questions, we usually give an answer that lacks any sort of depth whatsoever. We'll have these conversations all of the time, whether it's in the office as we go into work, the school gate, with our neighbors or whatever. But if you had to survey these answers family fortune style, you'll probably determine that whenever it comes to most people, the survey says that they are busy, but that they're doing all right, thanks. And while that may be true for some, the truth is that we live in an age of social isolation, heartbreaking stories of dysfunction and unhealth, and with the rise of self-medicating our pain by whatever means possible, prescription or not, we know that the answers we hear every single day are so far from the truth. Whenever we look at the life of Jesus, though, he had this remarkable ability to be able to cut through the noise, to gently cut through, and to recognize what was truly going on with people. It was an art form, and it was an art that we need to incarnate in our age. Jesus' ability to do this begins with gentleness, a softness, a tenderness, a receptivity that didn't close him off from what was going on around him, but actually opened him up to discern what was happening with the people around him. And as we live in an age that is all about the resume, all about pursuit of the CV, we can focus on ourselves all the time. The competitive spirit just kicks in. People aren't there to be observed or to be served. People are there to get out of our way. And yet Jesus lives in a completely different manner. He's not harsh. He's not hardened, but with a softness, an ability to be gentle, sensitive, perceptively aware of what was going on with others. And so the question is, how can we, as his followers, cultivate gentleness today? How can we develop this softness to be able to determine what is going on with people? Three things really quickly. The first thing is pacing, by pace. This is super simple, but the busier our schedules, the more demands that we place in our life, the harsher and the harder we're going to be whenever it comes to other people. But as we develop a much more balanced, sustainable, John 15 kind of life, particularly with the practice of Sabbath right at the heart of it, not only the more time we'll have, but also the more emotional capacity we'll have to be able to serve people and not just serve our CVs, right? The second thing is presence. What I love about this interaction between Jesus and Mary in John 19 was that despite all that was going on in that moment on the cross, Jesus was fully present with his mother. The craziness of the crucifixion just seems to stop for a moment as Jesus looks to his mother and his focus is on her and her well-being alone. Because the gentle are those who look into the eyes of another, who are able to shut everything else out, who can focus solely on blessing that person in front of them. They fully give themselves to that person in that moment. Nothing, nothing stands in the way. The gentle are those who listen more than they talk. That as they listen, the hidden things come to light. 
as people open up and begin to share what is really going on beneath the surface. And yet for those of us who want to be the present ones, to be truly present, there's actually two kinds of listening that needs to take place because the third thing that I want to talk about is the practice of the prophetic. There's one way better than any other way that we as followers of Jesus have an ability to be able to cut through the noise and get right to the heart of what is going on with people and that is the practice of the prophetic. Whether it is through a word of knowledge or a series of words that just kind of roll off the tongue whenever we're laying hands on somebody and praying for them, whether it's a gut discerning feeling that we have, whether it's a picture that just sparks in our imagination as we begin to listen to somebody and talk to them, the spirit of the one who blessed his mother as he hung on the cross, is present within and surrounding you. To be truly present is to draw close to somebody that you're serving, to be present with them, yet also to be fully aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. To listen to what he is saying to you in that moment for the sake of that person. And that as we are the kind of people that practice the way of the prophetic, we possess a supernatural ability to be able to discern what is going on with people. And through gentle words of life and love and blessing, we're able to lead people into the future. To be gentle means to slow life right the way down. To draw alongside people, to be fully present with them. And also not just engaging with the prophetic whenever we get in like, environments like this, but also just practicing the prophetic as we're going about our daily lives, looking into people's eyes, listening to what God is saying to them. As we do all of this stuff, we'll become increasingly discerning to what is going on beneath the surface. And yet, in John 19, Jesus doesn't just discern what is going on with Mary, he actually does something different. He leads her into life. It's really important for us to recognize that whenever it comes to Jesus, that he gets right to the heart of Mary's wounds and offers her a life-giving solution, but he does that as he too bears wounds himself. In my experience, the most gentle people are the ones who have every excuse not to be gentle. They're the ones who have been wronged, the ones who have been hurt, the ones who have grieved deeply, the ones whose scars are the deepest, and yet they're the ones who live gently, who are most able and who are most ready to recognize the true shape of someone's heart and to journey with them towards life. They're the ones who have not allowed their past experiences to harshen them, harden them, but instead their past experiences have made them resilient, but also have made them incredibly tender, compassionate. The gentle are those who are quickest to serve those who are hurting because they know that it is a path that should never, ever be walked alone. Can I nerd out on you for just one second, if that's all right? Thanks. Whenever we look at the original text of the scriptures, it's sometimes really helpful to get into the original language because sometimes it just unearths what is really going on. So let me just do that for us for a second. The Greek word for gentle, proites, is found 15 times in the New Testament. It's the same word that we see for the word meek. So beginning with the Beatitudes, right the way through 
the course of the New Testament, we see that there is this series of uh, reminders of calls, of charges for us to be the meek and to be the gentle, right? But it's really helpful to also dig back deeper into the Old Testament to see where does that word kind of originate from? In the Old Testament, we only find three occasions where the word gentle is found. It's the Hebrew word marpe. But whenever we dig a little bit deeper again, we find something quite significant, but also something that makes total sense. That marpe, the Hebrew word for gentleness, actually finds its roots in a word that you may be much more familiar with. It is the Hebrew word rafa, or the word healing. Gentleness holds its most important roots in healing. And this makes sense to us because as we have seen Jesus, as we have experienced the course of his nature in our lives, it is in his gentleness, his tenderness, that he leads us towards healing. He is not one to ever force our healing or to drag us on, but journeys with us, is present with us in the journey towards life. And to be gentle is to be involved in the ministry of healing, compassionately journeying with others away from hurts and towards healing. And yet, in the paradoxical, upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, for this to happen, we need to be the people that learn the deep truth that it is only by embracing our own woundedness that we can become a source of life to others. The gentle are those who have come to see that their wounds, their past scars, their healed hurts have been transformed into something very, very different. It is a gift, a gift to be shared. The greatest resource other than the power of the Holy Spirit that we have in seeing people come to healing are the wounds that we have experienced ourselves. Not only do our past wounds make us tender and more open to what people are actually going through, but they also resource us with wisdom and with practical solutions to help those people who find themselves in a point of need. In an age of self-help, it is so easy to fall for the illusion that we can be led out of the desert by somebody who has never been there before. Enter the gentle. The gentle are not those who have allowed their scars to harden them, harshen their attitudes, nor are the gentle the exhibitionists. Hey, I'm a survivor. Look what I've got through. The gentle are those who quietly embrace the victory of their story. They've experienced the healing of their wounds by Christ, but they've also come to see that these healed scars are part of who they now are. If you're a kid of the 90s, you're going to love this. If you're not, I'm sorry, but life isn't like men in black. Like, life doesn't have these little weird things kind of stuck in front of our faces, like, like Will Smith clicks it, and then we're able to erase parts of our memory. That's just not how life works. Our old wounds and our old scars, they don't just disappear, but they have become part of our story. Here's the thing, whenever we're in the thick of it, whenever our wounds are raw, whenever we find ourselves in the desert, these hurts have a kind of authority over us. They determine how we act. Life kind of closes in a bit. And yet with healing from Jesus, these wounds don't have authority over us anymore. Actually, we begin to have authority over them. They don't disappear, but they transform themselves into something very, very different, a gift. 
and a gift that is to be shared with others. The gentle are those who see someone in a desert and don't choose to run away, but choose to draw quietly and compassionately close to them. Because the gentle recognize the terrain of the desert. They've been somewhere like this before. The gentle remember how hard it was, but they're also reminded of their healing, their victory. And so they seek to lead people and direct their paths towards the source of healing and life itself. It is by owning our healed wounds that actually we can become a source of life to others, seeing them not as weaknesses, but as victories, and victories that are to be offered to people. Because through these victories, we get to offer three things to people, three gifts. We get to offer them the gift of comfort in the desert. We knew how people should have acted whenever we were in the desert, so now we're able to act like that for other people. We knew whenever it's the right time to give the hug, whenever it's the right time to look them in the eye, whenever it's the right time to take their kids so they can have some space. We knew whenever it's the right time to invite them to the pub so over a pint we can talk about this. We can offer the gift of comfort. Secondly, we can also offer the gift of counsel. Here are some things that I have learnt from my desert and here are some things that may guide you out of it. And perhaps more than anything else, we get to offer the third gift, the gift of hope. This is my story. This is where I was. This is where I now am. It is not going to be like this forever for you. Gentleness is the art of recognizing where people are at, the gift of journeying with them towards life, that in an age that is becoming increasingly harsh, where people are getting increasingly fragmented, this is what it means for us to be a very different kind of people, awoken to the reality of the resurrection, that as we gently draw alongside and journey with people, people get to experience the resurrection power of Jesus. The gentle are those who can lead people out of the desert towards the way, the truth, and the life. One who is familiar with our sufferings. One who is sat on a throne with scars. The wounded healer. Let me land this for us. There's some of you here today who find yourself in the middle of the desert place. And with that, I want to be really, really clear. Go gentle on yourself and let us be gentle to you. All this talk about our woundedness and like healing, being able to be a source of help and of service to other people, don't worry about it right now, okay? This is for another time. We can pick up the conversation down the line. Allow us as a community to be able to serve you right now. But for others of you, I know that this strikes a chord. You've been through hard places in the past. You've been through many hard places in the past. And you've come through to the other side. You have healed wounds. You're gentle. You are tender. You're receptive to the reality of what people are facing in their everyday lives. And here's the thing. The temptation all the time for people like us is to try to forget where we've come from. To forget the wounds. And yet with that, I want to remind you this morning that it is because of where you've come from that today you are incredibly powerful. You have a remarkable story. The things that you have learnt, the experiences that you have, the wisdom, the resilience, and the gentleness that you possess is a treasure 
And it is a treasure that needs to be shared with people. There are so many people in this city who need to experience the treasure that you can offer them. You don't just recognize where people are at, but you're able to offer them the gifts of comfort and of counsel and of hope. You're able to practice the gentle way of Jesus with them. For some of you, over the course of the past number of months, as we have had this ongoing conversation as a community of what does it look like for us to be transformed people who transform cities, you've been thinking about, how can I join in with what Jesus is doing? You can gently draw alongside people that you see every single day, cut beyond the surface level with them, discern where they're at, mine the treasure of your own story and offer it to that person as a gift. Journey with them out of the desert towards the goodness of life. This ministry, and I don't use that word lightly, this ministry of gentleness will see the transformation of lives. And also, even though it's not the point, but kind of is, it is highly regarded in the way of the kingdom because it is the meek, it is the gentle that shall inherit the earth. That you because of your past experiences, are uniquely poised with gentle power to direct hurting people towards the direction of the newness of life, that your experiences of your Good Friday can be offered to somebody as the sweet, hopeful words of their resurrection Sunday, and in the quietness of your own soul, you will know that it is because of your past wounds that you can offer the newness of life to people. There is only one word that can contain the power of that. It's redemption. Redemption. Can I go for five more minutes? All right? I'm going to go for five more minutes. Not cool. We'll go quick. Um, last summer, Emma and I were sat over there somewhere. We connected with this community for about six months and Laura was preaching one morning and we drove out of the car park and out onto the Old Hillsborough Road and as soon as we turned out onto the main road, Emma turned around and asked me a question, what did you think of this morning? Um, be careful, be gentle whenever you're asking that question about me this morning, okay? Um, whenever she asked that question, my mind went somewhere kind of like where that doesn't usually go and these words just rolled out out of my tongue, and it were the words, I think we need to move to Lisburn. And she turned back and said, that was exactly the same thing that I was going to say. Lesson learned. Don't listen to Laura if you don't want your life to change. Um, <laughs> um, over the course of the past year, um, we have been working out how does that look like, and what does it look like for us to be able to move to Lisburn. And um, it's been a bumpy road, um, we've had offers on houses that have fallen through and all that kind of stuff, but a few weeks ago, um, things kind of took a direction um, in the right direction, and it looks as if we're going to be moving to Lisburn before the summer, which is really exciting. Um, it's kind of funny, though, the week that, we, um, that things began to change for us was the same week that the Sunday Times released the top 100 places to live in the UK, and the top place in Northern Ireland being Ballyhackamore, which is where we're currently living. Um, so give it a few years, and hopefully Lisburn is going to creep up. Um, that, would be, that would be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> um, we're really excited to be moving to Lisburn. Um, we've always kind of grown up around it and lived in it. Um, it is part of who we are for both Emma and I and our families. And there's something really distinctive, I think, about this community. And maybe it's because I've spent my week 
writing this talk and also talking with solicitors and estate agents and all that kind of stuff. But I think this is a time for us as a community to really embrace what it means to be the gentle. I get excited about moving to Lisburn for one reason, both Emma and I do, and that is our grandparents. Whenever um, we have spent time hanging out with our grandparents, hearing not just how they talk about the past, but how they talk about people who they interact with every single day, it just screams of gentleness. The ability to be able to stay incredibly connected with people, to know what is truly going on, and despite all of that, being able to lead them into life. That is something I truly believe that marks out Lisburn and this region. It is something that is within the fabric of this place. It is in the soil of this place. And in an age of social isolation, whenever it's all about getting towards the resume, I think it's something that we as a community need to continue to center ourselves on, to drive towards, to live as the gentle, not for our sake, but for the sake of men and women in this city so that they too may get to experience the redemption and the resurrection that we have experienced in our lives. I pray, I pray that we will grow up to be brave in a brave city. I pray that we will be brave. I pray that we would be daughters and sons who know what it means to be where we have been, that actually we can offer the newness of life to people. That is a wonderful demonstration of the redemptive power of Jesus. And we get to offer that to this city. Would you stand with me? As we respond this morning... um, I want to uh, pray for us, and then we're going to sing. Um, I want us to focus our attention on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, the one who has achieved redemption for us. Here's the thing about gentleness and all the other fruits of the Spirit, that yes, it is a choice that we can enact and incarnate, that we can live into, but there are also moments in which the Holy Spirit accelerates the growth of that fruit in our lives. And I'm just going to pray for that um, before we sing. So if you want to pray with me, that will be wonderful. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that our lives have been marked by redemption and by resurrection. That Lord Jesus, you who are lowly and meek, and yet all-powerful have transformed us, have renewed us, have made our stories, the things that we so often want to neglect, actually into treasure that can be offered into other people. Lord Jesus, we look at you and see your gentleness, and we want to become more like you. So Holy Spirit, as you do, would you make us more like Jesus? Thank you that that is a continual movement in our lives. But this morning, even in this moment, would you accelerate your growth? Would you accelerate what you're doing in our lives? Would you make us the gentle, we pray? Not for our sake, but for the sake of what you're doing in this city. In Jesus' name.